whispers Standing on the promises I cannot fall Listening every moment to the gospel Resting in my Savior as my all in all Standing on the promises of God Standing, standing Standing on the promises of God my Savior Standing, I'm standing on the promises all right, turn around and shake hands with at least three people you haven't seen. And after you return to your seat, look over to number 296. Number 296, he is exalted. A little short chorus. You can be seated. Let's sing it together. He is exalted, the king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever, exalted and up. We'll praise his name. He is the Lord. Forever his truth shall stand. He land and earth rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. Sing it again. He is exalted. The king is exalted on high. I will praise him. He is exalted forever. I will praise his name. He is the Lord, forever his truth shall reign. Rejoice in his holy name. He is exalted, the king is exalted. Now right across the page. All hail King Jesus. Page 229, are you washed in the blood? Number 229. Have you been to Jesus for the cleansing? Are you washed in the blood of the Lamb? Are you fully trusting in His grace?
stand together now ushers you come as we sing the last stanza lay aside the garments that are stained with sin Father, we're grateful tonight for the privilege we have to worship you and the time that we have to come together as Christian brothers and sisters. Pray that you give us a wonderful time of worship as we hear our pastor bring the word to us, and we pray for this time of offering that uh, the gifts will be literally taken around the world to spread the message of Jesus Christ. And we pray in his name. Amen. Live Moon video. 2019 marks a hundred years that Southern Baptist Offering for International Missions has been called the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering. You probably know that 100% of the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering goes directly overseas to support IMB missionaries serving around the world. 0% goes to overhead and administrative cost. 
Every penny goes directly to IMB missionaries to declare the majesty of Christ to a lost world. Inspired by a spirit of a gospel-driven partnership, the Lottie Moon Christmas Offering is an effective initiative that God is using to extend His work in a world that desperately needs to hear that Christ died for the forgiveness of sin because of the mercy and grace of God. Lottie Moon isn't the name of a clever marketing campaign. It marks the legacy of a giant who followed Christ with full surrender and championed others to do the same. That is um, our Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Um, if you get my little handout that we've got tonight back there, but you get that later on, we have um, re raised our $17,000. I think we're at seventeen two for this year's Lottie Moon, which is great because last year we raised thirteen six. so it was an exciting increase in our giving. So I want you to know as we give to Lottie Moon, especially you know, thinking about, you know, what is this money being used for? It's going, every penny is going to supporting the nations. I want to give you another missions update. We went and rang the bell at Fayette Mall on December 23rd. Well, they sent, they counted for our little kettles, and we had like 24 folks go and ring the bell. From our bell ringing, we, you signed up for an hour at a time at like three different locations at Fayette Mall, inside the mall. We raised $1,153. Just our, our church did that that day uh, for um, uh, Lexington Salvation Army. So thank you so much. That uh, was an outstanding outreach. I was in front of the Dick Sporting Goods, and literally, as people would come out, if they paid with cash, they would just take their change and just dump it in the red kettle. So folks were ge very generous. It was e exciting to certainly see that happen. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 11. Also, hopefully you have your bulletin. You want to pull out your bulletin insert right here. We are going through on Sunday evenings a Sunday night sermon series on the book of Acts. And it's called Church on Fire because the church was growing. And today we're going to look at two sections here. We're going to look at Acts chapter 11 and then we're going to flip over in a little while and flip over and see Genesis chapter 17. Those are two sections of scripture we're going to be looking at. And what's, what's happened here is we're going to be talking about what, why circumcision was so important. I know obviously that is not an issue whatsoever today. The issue for Jewish believers back 2,000 years ago during Peter's time, because he was the one that really had the issue with that, it was over the issue of circumcision. I'm going to show you all that why in Genesis chapter 7. Today the issue is homosexuality. It's just, it has just changed. So that's what has happened in 2,000 years. But we will see here in the scriptures what happens. So I want you to follow along here in your Bible as well as you follow along uh, with your bulletin insert. Acts chapter 11 verse 1. The apostles and the brothers and sisters who were throughout Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. We know from last Sunday night, Peter went up to Caesarea, and he was there and with Cornelius, who was a Roman leader. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit came down, and even Gentiles, those that did not practice eating kosher food, those who were uncircumcised, 
they begin to speak in tongues and they're filled with the Holy Spirit. And God is moving and seeing even Gentiles saved. This is what is known as the Gentile Pentecost. That is in Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 8 going backwards is the Samaritan Pentecost. And the first Pentecost, which is a Jewish Pentecost, is Acts chapter 2. We see the gospel just going from Judaism to Samaria, which are half-Jews, and then on to Gentiles, which has no Jew, Jew, Jewish roots whatsoever in them. And we're seeing the gospel spread. And that's what, is, what's what we're talking about, how the Gentiles have received the word of God. When Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcision party criticized him. Have you ever been criticized? Somebody ever made a critical word to you? Has someone, have you done something and then someone stands right there and tells you you shouldn't have done it or here's 15 ways you did it wrong? That's what just happened to Peter. He was criticized. It's not Peter's fault that the Holy Spirit came down and a bunch of folks got saved. How can he control that? He was up in Caesarea and the Holy Spirit moved among the Gentiles. So he comes back to Jerusalem. That's where the kind of the capital was among the church at that point. And they just, the circumcision party, what that means is these were folks that were Christians, but they held to their Jewish identity. And they still believed if you were going to be a Christian, you had to be circumcised. So before we read on, let's turn back. Keep your finger here in Acts chapter 11. Because we need to know where did this idea of circumcision, why it's so important. Where did this come from? This came from the book of Genesis with Abraham in Genesis 17. So flip back in your Bibles. Genesis 17 verse 9. I'm going to show you all why circumcision was the issue in the book of Acts. The issue today is homosexuality. Even the Methodist church is currently splitting over United Methodist Church, this issue. So uh, the, there's always going to be a problem. And um, it's, just, it's just changed from the times. Here it is. Look here. This is the covenant of circumcision. What is a covenant? A covenant is a promise that God has made with man. It's an agreement he's made. And what's happened is God has chosen Abraham. And he's going to say, Abraham... Your descendants and all your, the people after you, they will be known because you will be set apart. And one of the ways you will be set apart is on the eighth day, Jewish or Hebrew boys will be circumcised. And that's what we're going to see. Verse 9, Genesis 17, 9. God also said to Abraham, as for you, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations are to keep my covenant, meaning for all time. So naturally, a Jew during the time of Jesus would, would be circumcised. Jesus was circumcised. Remember when he went up to the temple? He was receiving his circumcision. It, was, it wasn't just a... a a medical procedure, it was a religious. It's a, you're identifying 
as a follower and a devout Jew that you are going to observe this commandment. It goes on to say, verse 10, This is my covenant between me and you and your offspring after you, which you are to keep. Every one of your males must be circumcised. You must circumcise the flesh of your foreskin to serve as a sign of the covenant between me and you. Throughout your generations, every male among you is to be circumcised at eight days old. Every male born in your household or purchased from any foreigner and, and not your offspring, whether born in your household or purchased, he must be circumcised. My covenant will be marked in your flesh as a, look at this, permanent covenant. It's a permanent covenant here that they are to make, meaning it's supposed to always last. Even today, Jewish men at eight days old are circumcised. If any male is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin, that man will be cut off from his people. He has broken my covenant. God said to Abraham, As for your wife Sarai, do not call her Sarai, for Sarah will be her name. I will bless her indeed. I will give you a son by her. I will bless her and she will produce nations. Kings and peoples will come from her. The reason I read those last couple of verses is interesting. At this point, when God made this covenant of circumcision, Abraham had no children. So he's probably thinking, why aren't you telling me I need to circumcise my children when Sarai and I have no children and we're on up there in age? So why would this covenant even apply to me? God gives the covenant. Then he says, I'm going to bless your wife. You're going to have a baby and you're going to circumcise him. And it will be a permanent covenant. So flip back now to Acts chapter 11, going back to this. Now you see why the circumcision party here in going back to verse 2, when Peter went back to Jerusalem and the, the, the Christians there who held on to their Jewish identity of circumcision, they're criticizing him. Because what, what did Peter do? If you were Jewish, you were not supposed to enter a Gentile's house. And not only did he enter in the house, the Holy Spirit also came into the house. And the Gentiles were saved and baptized. That had never happened before. This is the preceding chapter in chapter 10. And what we're seeing is we're seeing a great unexpected move of the Lord. Peter wrestled with this. Back in the chapter before in chapter 10, Peter was in a little town called Joppa. And he was staying at a man named Simon the Tanner. So he obviously was staying with someone who worked with unclean animals. And he had a vision of the Lord of all these different types of animals, including unclean animals. And God told him, kill and eat. Well, he wasn't supposed to kill and eat a pig. And God scolded him for three times. He had to tell him to do that. And God said... You do not call anything unclean that I have made clean. And what he was teaching Peter is a lesson we have to learn. 
our customs that maybe we're used to, if God has told us we don't have to be circumcised, someone can be saved and they're not circumcised, we should not make that a requirement for salvation. So understand what's happening here. The Bible set apart circumcision for Jewish people for the purpose for making them set apart from all the other nations that did not worship the Lord. We get to the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is now moving among the Gentiles, uncircumcised men. And God is instructing Peter that just because he was circumcised, he should not go and tell other people that they can't be Christians unless they're circumcised. So tying this in with the issue for today, because obviously, circumcision, nobody's obviously making a big deal about this, circumcision. This isn't a stumbling block for today. But the stumbling block in Christians, among Christianity, is homosexuality. That's where all the splits are over. But homosexuality is a different issue. Homosexuality is clear from the Old Testament all the way to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, all the way to the end in the book of Revelation. And never once, the difference what we see here is God began saving Gentiles. I want you all to know something. If you were in a liberal church, and you had a liberal pastor preaching to you. Do you know how he would interpret these verses here? He would say, this is what liberal preacher would say. Liberal is somebody who does not revere God's word as the inerrant word of God. They would say just their issue was circumcision. And now our issue today would be homosexuality. And just like God saved and started moving among the uncircumcised, he is now moving among the gay and the lesbians. And we just have to change. That's what, and I've, you, can, you can hear this argument being made by some. They will say the issue has just changed for the times. But there's a huge problem with that logic and thinking. God never moved and saved and sent the Holy Spirit to homosexuals in the Bible. Do y'all follow me there? This is so important. We do not see groups of gays in Scripture that the Holy Spirit comes down and all of a sudden we're told, okay, that's no longer a sin. or You don't have to worry about that anymore. But with the issue of circumcision, God did send the Holy Spirit among the Gentiles. Are y'all tracking me on this? Very important. So if you're talking to somebody and say, hey, it's just a different thing. Back in Bible times, it was circumcision. Today it's gay folks. You can say, well, show me in the Bible where God sent his Holy Spirit among gay folks. And they started getting saved because it's not in there. That's the difference. The word of God is our authority, and that's how we interpret our times. So keep going here in your Bible. Verse, verse 3. So this is what they're saying. Saying, you went to uncircumcised men and ate with them, meaning you went into their house and you fellowshiped with these people who we're supposed to be set apart from. 
Peter began to explain to them step by step. I was in the town of Joppa praying, and I saw in a trance an object that resembled a large sheet coming down, being lowered by its four corners from heaven. And it came to me. When I looked closely and considered it, I saw the four-footed animals of the earth, the wild beasts, the reptiles, and the birds of the sky. I also heard a voice telling me, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. So the Lord is telling Peter, Hey, you can eat non-kosher food. No, Lord, I said, for nothing impure or richly unclean has ever entered my mouth. But a voice answered from heaven a second time, What God has made clean, you must not call impure. So God is basically correcting Peter. He says, if God has made it clean, which he has, God's in a vision. God's allowing the uncircumcised to be saved. Now this happened three times and everything was drawn up again into heaven. At that very moment, three men who had been sent to me from Caesarea arrived at the house where we were. The Spirit told me to accompany them with no doubts at all. These six brothers also accompanied me, and we went into the man's house. He reported to us how he had seen the angel standing in his house and saying, Send to Joppa and call for Simon, who's also named Peter. He will speak a message to you by which you and all your household will be saved. So God's speaking to these, sent a vision to these folks, these uh, Gentiles, these Romans, they're not Jews, telling them how they're going to be saved. Verse 15, as I began to speak, look at this, the Holy Spirit came down on them just as on us at the beginning. Meaning going all the way back to Acts chapter 2, the same Holy Spirit, He came among these folks. I remember the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave them the same gift that he also gave to us when we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, how could I possibly hinder God? That's the question we, for us. How could we hinder God? Do we hinder God today? Is there a way for Broadway Baptist Church to hinder God? Is there a way for we in our personal lives to stop the work of the Lord? Verse 18. When they heard this, they became silent. And they glorified God by saying, So then God, look at this, has given repentance, resulting in life, even to the Gentiles. That's an important Bible for most of us, because I would guess most of us are Gentiles. We now receive the exact same Holy Spirit that came down in Acts chapter 2. God continues to work even today. Now, second section here. Keep moving here in this. The main thing we saw in that first one is God had to change Peter's attitude. He had a bad attitude about it. Have you ever had a bad attitude about something? Has there ever been something that you just aren't on board with? A lot of times when uh, maybe somebody comes and they've got a new idea to you and it's not your idea, you think, why? I don't want to do this. And basically, that's their idea. That's what they want to do, but it's, it's not mine. And what God want, wanted from Peter is God wanted Peter to see that the Holy Spirit's going to move among the Gentiles. And Peter, you can't allow your Jewishness 
to stand in the way. You can't allow it to hinder your work. You know, Peter, he couldn't be the one who was going to stand in the way of the Gentiles coming to Christ. He had to be converted of his attitude of Jewishness and following circumcision and following also eating a kosher diet. God had to free him from that and say the gospel breaks those barriers. The barriers that, you know, this is MLK weekend. God breaks any racial barrier. No matter what color anyone is, the gospel and Lord can save them. He died for anyone on the cross. When we get to heaven, we know all nations will be there. Every single race. We bring nothing to heaven except our soul. We don't bring the color of our skin. We bring our spirit and God, which I'll be getting into next Sunday, our glorified body. And what does our glorified body look like? We'll be answering that next Sunday morning. Last section here, verse 19. We're going to read verses 19 through 26. The church in Antioch. I've shared it before. If you go probably out somewhere in country part of Kentucky, you will see Antioch Baptist Church. You'll think, why does every little town have an Antioch Baptist Church? And that's not the name of the little town. I mean, you're in Whitley City, Kentucky, and they're having an Antioch Baptist Church. Well, what we're about to see right here is the reason it's called all, all these little churches are called Antioch Baptist Church. It's because of this scripture right here. Section, or verse 19, now those who had been scattered as a result of the persecution that started because of Stephen. Now, what happened there is Stephen was a martyr. He was the first deacon and he also died for his faith. Made their way as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch, speaking the word to no one except Jews. But there were some of them, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who came to Antioch. Antioch is in current day Turkey. It's in southern Turkey, not far from Syria. And they began speaking to the Greeks. So a Greek here, a Greek is a, is a Gentile. It's somebody who would not have any, any Israelite or any Jewish blood in them. It's somebody who would be considered unclean. Also proclaiming the good news about the Lord Jesus. So these people came from Cyrene and Cyprus over to Greece, over to Antioch, and start sharing among Greek speakers the gospel and start leading them to Christ. Now look at this. The Lord's hand was on them, and a large number who believed turned to the Lord. News about them reached the church in Jerusalem. So, you know, when God starts moving, you start hearing about it. So even the, the capital church down in Jerusalem, they're hearing about what's happening up in Antioch. That's way up there. When he arrived, or I'm sorry, if I skipped a verse here, verse, verse 22, news about them reached to the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to travel as far as Antioch. Remember Barnabas. Barnabas is known as the encourager. Barnabas was the guy that they would dispatch the Jerusalem church, led by James and Peter and John, they would go sent, be sent up there to go investigate what, what's going on. 
Are folks really getting saved? Do they really understand Bible doctrine? Do they understand how the Holy Spirit is working and moving among them? But Barnabas, Barnabas is somebody who every time we see him in Scripture, he's constantly encouraging and blessing other folks. And that's, that goes right along with it. So he's, verse 23, when he arrived and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And look at this. He encouraged all of them to remain true to the Lord with devout hearts. Now look at this. Now we're going to describe Barnabas. Because Barnabas is an encourager. Everyone needs encouragers in their lives. Everyone needs, needs folks that come along and encourage them along the way. You know, I, I met uh, Sherry when we were, um, I was in graduate school in our single adult Sunday school class. And, you know, we met in the church. And I remember getting to know her and she was working for Progressive Insurance as a claims adjuster in Alabama. And I was in, I was in seminary in, in graduate school and uh, I was talking to her. And she was kind of telling me, I guess, you know, you get to know folks. They start telling you about what it was like when they were growing up and their whole life story. And when younger folks, they have a shorter life story, so it doesn't take as long when you're in your early 20s. You just say, well, this is what I did a few years ago. But um, she was telling me, says, Daniel, I really always wanted to be a doctor, a medical doctor, an MD. Even though she worked at an insurance company, she says, when I was a high schooler, because she was really smart. She had good grades. She's a bright young lady. She said she went to her uh, primary care, like her, uh, her doctor, she would see, pediatrician. And her physician, she told her, said, oh, I wanna, I'm planning on going to medical school. She's, she's like 15, 16, 17 years old. I want to be, I'm interested in doing what you do. And she said her, her pediatrician discouraged her from doing that, says, oh, you don't want to be a doctor and a pediatrician. There's all this paperwork. You have to deal with this government stuff. It's, it's not what you think. You should consider other, you know, another profession. And she was kind of taken aback by that. She was discouraged by it. And she said, that is one of the main reasons when she graduated college, she did not go to medical school. Because she remembers someone she looked up to. She had been with that same old pediatrician for her whole life, discouraging her from going into medicine. Now, she ended up being a nurse later on, but she said, Daniel, if I had to do it over again, I would, right after college, I would go gone to medical school. I encouraged her to do it when I first met her, but she said she was too old. That's what everybody says when they don't want to do something. I'm too old. She's like 26. I'm too old. I can't do it. I want you to know, Barnabas, he was known as an encourager. When you say a discouraging word to someone, when you push someone down and you push them back, you never know the impact that has. And it might, they might remember that for years and years and years. What I love about Barnabas the man encouraged others. And look, look at the description of him. I mean, every time we see him, he talks about how he's a great encourager. And he's encouraging folks to remain true to the Lord. And then it says, verse 24. I mean, every time we see him, 
just a few chapters earlier, he was described this way. For he's a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I mean, that's just kind of just a bonus sentence about Barnabas, how great he is. He's just a good man. Good men, good women, people of faith, encourage other folks. Do you know the gift of encouragement is a spiritual gift in Romans chapter 12? I hope you encourage people at this church. I hope you encourage me. I hope you encourage other folks here. Hope you encourage your Sunday school teacher. It is encouraging to hear a good word. And that's what everyone wants to be around a Barnabas. And look what happens when the spirit of encouragement is occurring. Last part of verse 24. And large numbers of people were added to the Lord. Folks get saved when the spirit of encouragement and blessing and positiveness is moving along. Nobody gets saved because he has the gift of discouragement and I got saved. He discouraged me to increase my prayer life. Like it just doesn't happen. It's impossible to happen. If you're a discourager, if you're a Debbie Downer, being a negative influence is not going to cause a positive action for someone else. It's just not going to happen. We don't see it here in the Bible. Barnabas here is encouraging and lots of folks get saved. Every time we see this man, folks are getting saved. Verse 25. Then he went to Tarsus to search for Saul. And when he found him, look at this. He brought him to Antioch. So Barnabas thinks, I need to go find... See, Tarsus is where Paul was from. That's who Saul is. That's his hometown, which is not that far. It's in, it's in current day Turkey as well. So Barnabas sees this great movement of the Holy Spirit. And who's the best disciple maker he knows? Well, it's Paul. That man really knows the Bible. I'm going to go over to Tarsus and grab him and bring him back to Antioch. And he can start discipling and investing in these new believers. And that's what he does. Paul goes over there. And when he found him in verse 26, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year they met with the church and taught large numbers. Paul is discipling for one year. You know, we just got out of our uh, deacons meeting and we were in there talking about it. We're going to move our deacons meetings to Sunday afternoon instead of Saturday mornings. And, and which I think is a great move. You know why it's a great move? Because church starts at 6 o'clock and you have to end. Y'all know the end part of a meeting is actually more important, important Ray, than a beginning part. Because you know, hey, it's only going to be an hour and a half meeting. Well, we were in there talking about it. You know, looking at our pipeline of some new younger guys coming up. And we were saying, you know, it's like we almost need a junior deacon program. Because a lot of times a young man, he would not know. What does it mean to be a deacon? How do you serve? What are the qualifications? Like, what do we do? What do deacons do? And just have, invest for a year in these young guys, just bringing them through a process. It's going to take a year anyway to figure out what's going on. And just mentoring and bringing. Guys, that's exactly, this discipleship process is exactly what Saul, also known as Paul, is doing to all these new believers that Barnabas, because he has the gift of encouragement, he led to the Lord. He's investing in others. We are called as believers to disciple other folks and invest in them. 
And there's folks in this church. I went to, um, I was so proud of Chris Wright. He's up in the sound booth. He invited um, all the, after the 1109 service this morning, um, um, all the college students to come have lunch. He, was, he catered it from Chipotle. And I walked in there, because Sherry's out of town, and that means it's, I don't have to cook. That's the real reason. I walked in there after church was over, and brought Benjamin and Esther and let them eat. And I was so encouraged to see, because there were people in our fellowship hall, right this morning, or 12-15, today, that if you rewind one year ago in January, listen to this, they were not at this church. They had never even been to this church, probably never even heard of Broadway Baptist Church. That is a result of having a college ministry. I got to go and talk to 18, 19, and 20-year-olds today at lunch who I really don't know very well, who are brand new to Broadway, and none of them even lived around here. They all lived in other parts of the state, of our state here in Kentucky. But God has brought them here. Those young folks need a Barnabas. They need a Saul. They need folks to come alongside them and to get to know them and pour their life into him. Do you know, Chris has a Thursday night college ministry Bible study. It starts again because school just, all the students just came back this past week. It starts this coming Thursday. He needs host homes. I went through a college ministry that did Monday night Bible study. We also went into host homes at our home church. And I, and I remember getting to know those people. Where I would go into their home, get a free meal, and you're just by nature just going to talk to them. Who, who owns this house? Where are we? What's their story? Where do they retire from? Where did they do? How many children do they have? What's their dog like? And you just get to know folks. Those folks made an impact on me. I'm telling you all this story. You want to serve Broadway Baptist Church? You go to Chris right there in the sound booth and say, Chris, I want to be a host home. I can cook. I can invite college students over to my house on Thursday night. And I just want to get to know them. You don't have to teach. All you have to do is unlock the door and cook a meal. And they come in. Guys, that is ministry. That is the spirit of Barnabas. The spirit of encouragement just moving through a church. It blesses. I want y'all to know, those college students, they'll come through here for four years and they'll, they'll, they'll move away and they might never, they likely will never again come to this church. You know when you'll find out your reward, it will be in heaven. You will never know the impact you made on those young people's life until you're in glory. But you make an impact. Barnabas and Saul made an impact here. Now here's the impact. Last sentence here and we're done. Last sentence of verse 26. Look at this sentence. This is up here on the board. Through the encouragement of Barnabas, through the teaching and discipling ministry of Paul, look what happens. Have you ever called yourself a Christian? Have you ever checked a box that you're part of Christianity or you're a Christian? The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. There it is. Do you know the word Christian actually means little Christ? 
It was a mockery term used back in Bible times. It meant little Christ is what the word means. It means these followers follow Jesus. And they believe Jesus is the Messiah who is the Christ. So what started out the word Christian as mockery in Antioch, because remember, we're in a Greek city. We're in a Gentile city. And these people just, they're, they're, a lot of them aren't into Christianity. But they know a big movement is occurring. So they called them Christians to mock them. That word stuck. 2,000 years later, we call ourselves Little Christ because we identify as being a Christian. This morning, we're going to close with the invitation. I want you to think about, you might be saved here tonight, but I want you to think about two things. How can you be a Barnabas? A Barnabas is an encourager. Do you know when the spirit of encouragement is moving among the brethren, among the church, large numbers of people were saved. Some of you are like Paul. Paul went to Antioch and spent one year there discipling and teaching those young brothers. We have a new pipeline of some new young deacons that are coming up. Men, if you've been a deacon, if you've been ordained for many, many years, you need to invest and get to know and just bring along younger guys. We're constantly pouring our life into others. God, I thank you for your word. I thank you that we have great encouragement from reading Acts chapter 11. Lord, make our church like the church of Antioch where we see encouragement occurring. And they weren't stuck on the issue of circumcision. Lord, you broke down those barriers. And Gentiles received the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray tonight, this invitation, if there's anybody here that needs to make a commitment to be like a Barnabas or a Saul, they will do so. God, raise up this church that our college ministry is being blessed because we are getting to know young adults. Make the years here in Lexington the best years of young folks' lives. Because we're investing in them. Lord, bless Chris Wright's ministry as he goes on the campuses and gets to know these young people. Lord, bless the teenagers right now as they're down in Pigeon Forge hearing the gospel taught and preached and proclaimed. Lord, thank you for the thousands of teenagers that were there today. Lord, I pray for our group that we will see decisions that were made. Lord, I pray that you bless our church and we give you this invitation. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close every single worship service here with the invitation. I want to invite you to stand up. I'll be staying down front and you can respond to the gospel and make a decision tonight. Still.
cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. The world behind me, the cross. 